everyone, and welcome back to Crowning Around, a podcast where three regular everyday peasants attempt to learn about the royal family through their depictions on film and television. My name is Sam Chung, and today we have done it. We 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 uh we will be diving into the season finale of The Crown, season five. We've made it all the way through the season. Today we'll be talking about uh, episode ten, entitled "Decommissioned." This episode, of course, is brought to you by New Britain and McVitie's Biscuits, so that's always fun. And joining me, as always, to break down everything that happened in this episode are my two co-hosts. First, a man who loves getting gifts. It's Ivan Vukovic. Ivan, what is a better gift, a rubber glove or a singing fish? Rubber glove. And why is that? I mean, it, it's utilitarian. Like, you, <laughs> I can use a rubber glove. The singing fish is... But even though the rubber glove is ultimately the thing that is meant to be disposed after a while, I feel like it's the singing uh, fish that you would be sooner wanting to get rid of. What about a painting of Huna Mill? Depends. Who 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 is the gift giver? Prince Charles. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, also back with us today, a woman whose favorite television program is. Do you want a monarchy? It's Carlin Greenwald. Carlin, have you ever called in to vote for something on a TV show? No, but they always tried to make it really tempting with like American Idol. <laughs> I, yeah, I was too young to like use the phone to call in. But yeah, they, they made it seem so fun. Do you remember who you wanted to vote for and like which Wait, season? What? I don't know the seasons. Yeah, but no, the person, honestly, I... the person who was yeah, the, the person you like... would have voted for. And like, why was it really Taylor Hicks? Clay Aiken? <laughs> I forgot the... Oh, what was the guy's name? I'm confusing him with a comedian. Um, It was something Cook. I think his first name started with David, David Cook. Cook. Was that the guy? Yes. But he yeah. won, so it doesn't matter. He did win. He did oh, but, win. But, but he had your support. He did have my support, yeah. I like so, so, so if you could have voted, you could have put in a meaningless vote for him. Yeah, basically. But then you could have felt like you contributed to his victory. I guess so. When, Which was already secure without you. <laughs> yep, it's true. Where where did that guy go? I don't know. That's a good question. He was around for a while and then he disappeared. But at least he had he had a better career than the other David because he was up against David Archuleta. Oh, yeah. I was just about to ask, what's the difference between the two of them? One of Wasn't them one, one like a young guy? <laughs> <laughs> but is it, is it David Archuleta the one that you kind of went on to hear more about? I don't, I don't think know, so. Probably. I heard nothing about David Archuleta after. What happened to him? What happened where, to both of them? Where are they now? Where'd they go? Wait, <laughs> is, is Adam Lambert also out of American Idol? Yes. He was. You're right. Okay, I do actually like Adam Lambert, he's, too. The, he's the one that kind of stuck around because like, he, he was also like the new queen front man when yes. they did like a little like resurgence a few years ago. Yeah, he used to live in my aunt, great aunt's apartment. I never saw him, Wait, but what? he was there. Wait. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> What? <laughs> the apartment building. Apartment building. Oh, I thought your great you aunt was renting out was renting out her unit <laughs> to no. Adam Lambert. No. He lived like in the same floor. Like there was two units on the floor, so he was the other one. But again, I never pre, saw it. Pre or post American Idol. Post American Idol. But pre Queen. Uh, no, I think it was during the Queen thing too. Oh, okay. Wow. Only up until I mean like she died in twenty nineteen, so up until then. So did obviously. Adam Lambert's career. <laughs> What are you talking about? So Adam dark. Lambert was a judge on E's Clash of the Cover Bands. <laughs> I'm telling you, Kelly Clarkson, she's like the only one that has like stayed. Uh, Carrie Underwood. Oh, yeah, you're right, Carrie Underwood. Yeah, uh, Carrie Taylor Underwood 
Waiting all day okay. for Sunday. Night. Waiting all day for Sunday night. Yeah. I mean, it's the <laughs> best song, the the, mo- the the most oft heard song in America. <laughs> okay. All right. Two? Anyway, we're we're on a tangent. But speaking of Queen, we have a a Crown episode to get to. So, <laughs> like that segue. Um. All right. Before we begin, we just like to say that if you came here for any sort of factual clarity about uh, the events that unfolded here, granted there weren't many. Um, we'll, uh, we'll, we're assuming that everything that happened here is true and, uh, we, we don't know. We're not historians. That's not really the purpose of this podcast. We're just regular people trying to learn about the royal family. And so with that, Carlin, can you give us a quick recap of yeah. decommissioned? So, uh, because there wasn't much happening, I don't have much of a flow of like, and that happened after that. So I'm just going to like list off the different plot lines. Just give us the highlights. So... <laughs> So in the news, um, they were there was a program deciding whether or not the monarchy should exist and continue to exist. It's sort of a conversation that is happening across the nation that is starting to come into the royal circles. Um, next storyline, though, is that Dodie, <laughs> our friend who has now returned from episode three, ha- is trying to um, get serious with this American, I want to say she's an actress, um, getting her deeper into his life, much to sort of the resistance of his father, Muhammad. So that's sort of just going on concurrently to all of this. Um, again, meanwhile, so back with the royals, it's Liz's birthday. And they're deciding that they're going to... So Hong Kong has now become independent, which I guess is something that was happening this whole time. And so they decide to send Charles to Hong Kong to... Because they don't want to go because they, they think it's in bad taste for them to go. That it's kind of pathetic. They lost one of their colonies. But along with that, they decide to send the Royal Yacht, which is now being decommissioned after Tony Blair won the election and basically was like, hey, guys, do you want a new yacht that you can rent? And they're like, no, we don't want that. So the the yacht is being decommissioned. Liz is very upset about it. Tony Blair, he's here now. But basically what ends up happening is Charles does go on his little uh, Hong Kong trip and along with it, so Tony Blair's there too, and they have a meeting in which Charles once again tries to go for his, hey, let's go above the queen and make things happen for me because I'm bored and want power. So uh, he does that, but Tony Blair tells his wife that he was actually very impressed with Charles, so like, mm, is there going to be some treason here? Who knows? And then Liz gets word of what happened, and she's like, first of all, the people are going to be upset that you use the uh, public money to <laughs> fund a trip with Camilla afterwards. And no one likes Camilla. So do you really want to keep going with this relationship? And also, I know that you met with Tony Blair on your own. And guess what? Only the sovereign gets to do that. And you are not the sovereign yet. So he gets a, he gets a little talking to. And he's obviously not happy because he's like, no, I'm going to stay with Camilla. And like, no one wants you anymore. So they continue to have problems that are not resolved. And meanwhile, again, Diana it doesn't want to be there in England at all for Camilla's 50th birthday. And then she's having dinner with Mohammed, who's like, hey, come with me to France for our holiday. And so she agrees. And that is when we close the season with her meeting Dodie. Thanks, Carlin. Um, yeah, ho- luckily not much happened because I think we can kind of speed through this and then talk about the greater season at large. <laughs> Wait. Hold on. I think even less happened than Carlin described because Diana doesn't actually meet Dodie in the end, does does she? Oh, wait. No, don't she doesn't. With, like, oh, fine. Were they all on ship together? 
Did I make that no. up? No, no, I don't think. No, I don't think what? that the face because uh, we see a shot of uh, uh, Dodie uh, proposing to his super, supermodel girlfriend, and that's like the last like shot of him. And yeah, then that was every, a cut. It, it's. I think it's like literally just Diana packing to go on the trip. Oh, right? well, fine. They don't meet yet. That's next season, guys. I made that up. Oh, I thought she was unpacking. I couldn't really tell what she was. I thought she had made it to like Moo Moo and Haney's yacht. We think that they are now on the yacht together in some way, but perhaps Dodie and Diana She's in some form of like luggage loading, unloading. But the last we see of Dodie is is in Malibu. Uh, (laughs) Okay. Um. All right. But uh, yeah, let's dive in. So I just want to say, first of all, I think the worst thing to happen to television in probably the last fifty years is the Happy Birthday song entering the public domain. Like, it's cringeworthy enough in real life. <laughs> I don't need to see it on TV as well. One day we'll be surprised. They'll do a spin <laughs> on it that we'll all enjoy. But yeah, it's Liz's birthday finally. Um, this has been teased since the BBC episode. And uh, congratulations, Liz. For your birthday, you get a program called Do You Want the Monarchy? So what's worse, a Diana interview or Do You Want a Monarchy? <laughs> did Dookie leave and that's what they did instead? Like. <laughs> I don't know. We actually don't know that this is the BBC, but I guess that's true. I it, but it, she it, watched it. Does it. Not, it's it <laughs> seems not. a little beneath the BBC. <laughs> yeah, you know, great programming. That was like the most enjoyable scene in this episode for me. Was just like the idea that Diana is so petty that she's calling. <laughs> oh my god, she called in so many times. <laughs> see, oh, I, I see. Thought I thought it, it, I thought it was so pathetic. Like, <laughs> no, and that's I, the I, point. I, it, oh, it, I, I realized that, but I think uh, I also thought it was kind of pathetic that this is what the season finale was even being partially dedicated toward. Like they're really just s- scrapping the bottom of the barrel for like material to put in. This just doesn't make sense to me. There has to have been more interesting things going on that weren't any of these storylines. It's a little annoying to me that uh, we got that. It's now that we've we're kind of come up on the other side. The episode that we devoted to Mohammed and Dodi is so annoying to me because it it really wasn't warranted. Here, all we really get is uh, Dodi wants to buy a house in Malibu with his dad's money. They present his girlfriend, Kelly, as someone that maybe we should know, but I, I had no idea who she was. Uh, yeah. She's, I guess, just like a model who wants to be an actress. Right. I feel like everything we got from Mumu in this episode would have been enough on its own. Yeah, I mean, because the assumption, unless they make a big deal out of him in season six post Diana death, like I, I, I have a feeling they will. I, I have a feeling that the reason we got the the Al Fayed episode earlier in the season is to establish their kind of per- worldview and the perspective they have toward the royal family, which I'm guessing as a result of early season six is probably going to transform a bit yeah well i hope they make it interesting for all this yeah the most interesting thing might have been the michael douglas name drop i wish i could have seen that on like a house bidding war show (laughs) it's always michael douglas i feel like what where have i heard of another time he bought a house i'll never remember but yeah him in the real estate market he was also in your uh, great aunt's apartment was he not no he was was (laughs) not there but it was somewhere after uh, <laughs> the bid for the Malibu house didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, you know. Wait, how much is $10 million in um current money? Oh, Ivan. <laughs> I mean, uh, what year are we in now? 97? Uh, yeah. So $10 million 
1997 is worth how much today? Uh, uh, yeah, about uh, 18.5. So yeah, it's okay. it's definitely inflated a bit. That checks out. But is the house still there? <laughs> there have been a lot of fires in Malibu. Oh my God. I mean, I don't think the Alphayettes own that house anymore for reasons that may happen in season six. <laughs> That's probably true. Um, okay, so... Dodie wants his girlfriend to meet Muhammad. He uh, wants his dad to bring the private jet so that they can go over to London and uh, and, and he can introduce her to him. When they get there, Muhammad does not approve. Uh, they have a very awkward dinner where he is speaking Arabic the entire time. Uh, Kelly is like <laughs> to Haney, is this rude? And Haney is like, yeah, but they do it. <laughs> Oh, I, I also really liked Haney in this episode. Like yeah, just yeah. The, fun. <laughs> the sort of like, uh, you know, just relaxed and sort of amused nature that she has toward uh, uh, Muhammad. And, and also the fact that she's not like she's not a pushover either. It seems like she definitely um, has a, a good deal of control in that relationship as well. Like I, uh, yeah, I, I wish we could have spent more time with her. Because what do you think are... Mohammed's like, what does he want out of a daughter-in-law? Does she have to be British? Status. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's mostly it's status. Amazing I think. that Dodie didn't pick up like a more prominent actress. Oh, She's well. gotta have at least like three hundred thousand Instagram followers. Yeah, he says uh one of the questions Mohammed asked Dodie is, are they equals? Do they have money? Speaking of Kelly's family. I mean, look, that that's very typical rich person stuff, so yeah. They got to yeah. ask that. They don't want any gold diggers. I guess we learned that Dodie's uh, film career is, stru is uh, in a bit of a lull. It seems like he hasn't won any Oscars in some time since Chariots of Fire. Well, oh, yeah. So what defines a flop for this man? Is it no Oscars or is it like, you know, under 50% on Rotten Tomatoes? Probably a little from column A, a little from column B. But uh, yeah. Chariots of Fire, that was like early 80s, right? So we are, he's now gone a decade and a half without like having another film of comparable notoriety uh at least that's the way they present it in the episode <laughs> he's having a bad time here i don't know this this uh this dodi mohammed like interactions it gave big like succession vibes like you know when connor like goes to logan and is like can i have a hundred million dollars for my presidential <laughs> campaign like yeah. it didn't really endear me to dodi later on he haney is like i'm just a nobody too just like this person and mohammed is like no you're a socialite like what? Which, which Socialite to me sounds, sounds like mind. sounds worse. Yeah, how would you? What's a nice word yeah. for a social climber? Fascinating family. Fascinating family. They're gonna go on vacation with Diana eventually, and there's gonna be hamburgers and French fries. Oh, on more their than French that, vacation. jet skis, uh, shopping, a yacht, a helicopter, and a plane to get her there. Uh, his own personal bodyguards. It sounds like fun. She's going to have the most fun of anyone for at least like a week. Or the boys. I don't know. Maybe them. I don't know if Diana has fun. Let's go back to some of the political stuff that's happening. So Hong Kong or China wants to take back Hong Kong. The problem is Queen Elizabeth and Philip, A, are going to Canada, and B, it's undignified to go to a place that you're losing. So they're sending Charles, of course. <laughs> yep. But how, how is it like any less dignified to send like the heir to the throne? It, it's still, you know, a representative of the institution that is losing the colony. They don't care because it's Charles. 
they, this is where they finally send Margaret back out. Oh my God, she's not in the sixth anymore though. They would have to send. That's Anne. why they send her. You have to. You get to be outside the circle, and then they send you to the the lost colony. Oh, I see. They could send Diana. <laughs> could you imagine <laughs> if they send Diana? I wonder how far outside she is. She must be like last now. But or do they still need her? I see. That's the thing. You don't get to know these things. Like, what do they use her for? For PR versus like her real messy self. I just want to know. They're not giving it to us. I don't think we need it. The vibe of the show is that she's just not involved anymore. I have it on pretty good authority that she doesn't even think there should be a monarchy. <laughs> if someone's tapped into her phones, then, you know, they're very aware of this. Like, is that whoever's tapped into her phone still listening? <laughs> they know how many times she called. That's a Can headline you right there. If that was like a Daily Mail headline. Diana calls in 25 times to do you want a monarchy? But yeah, I it was there was something so like yeah about when Tony Blair won and all Elizabeth wants to talk about is the yacht. So we started with the yacht and we ended with the yacht. Ivan, was the ending of the yacht more akin to your experience on it? Um yeah, well yeah, it's interesting because uh, the yacht has made, you know, these scattered appearances throughout uh, the last several seasons of the show. But uh, prior to, I think, this season, there wasn't a whole lot of like pomp and circumstance around the meaning of the yacht and why it was so precious to Elizabeth. And that has come now into the foreground here in season five. And uh None of the scenes on the yacht this season like seemed particularly glamorous. Um, uh, but my experience, you know, it was a very sunny afternoon in, you know, early spring in Edinburgh. Uh, nice weather, gentle breeze, blue skies. And, you know, my wife and I, we sat and had uh, uh, scones and, uh, you know, uh, coffee on the little uh, dining deck and uh, it, it it was a very very like blissful experience being on that yacht and i can imagine uh, you know elizabeth like clinging on to a lot of like uh, you know nostalgia and a lot of fondness from for some like warm memories that are associated with that boat so yeah i i, I can understand like her her sense of loss having to uh, give up this ship but here's what i don't get couldn't she buy the ship if she wanted to. Well, I think the point was that refurbishments on the yacht would have been more expensive than just creating a new yacht. Well, then that's if she wants to keep the yacht, she pays for the yacht. But no, no, no. The, the, the issue, and Philip himself kind of pressed Elizabeth on this, is that like this boat is dying and is going to quickly become unsafe and repairing it would be just extremely costly. I guess. Like, it's just not an option to, to keep sailing it around the world. So, Ivan, your experience on the yacht was more like Tony Blair. And when he got to the yacht, he was like, oh, this is more impressive than I thought it would be. Yeah. Gr granted, I think it was a rainy night in Hong Kong when, uh, you know, he and Charles were on uh, the yacht for that meeting. So the, the vibe felt very different. Again, for me, gentle early spring breezy afternoon with blue skies. It just felt very... Yeah, just very, very pleasant. Whereas this now seemed a little kind of like dark and melancholy and not at all like the vibe that I experienced. So yeah, Charles is like uh, three days, a long time to go to Hong Kong, or I guess, uh, you know, not a long time to go to Hong Kong for such, you know, travel, especially in business class. Gross. Oof. <laughs> I like how he didn't get in first class. 
it's funny. I liked this. I actually liked the scene on the plane when you see him in business class and he wants so badly to be in first class. And he's yeah. like looking. He, he, like he has FOMO. <laughs> like he's looking in on like the inner circle that he's not a part of for once in his life. Yeah. And then the, the oh stewardess God. draws the curtain. <laughs> Completely shuts him out. But uh, yeah, it's only worth it for him if afterward he can go on a little holiday with Camilla. Where do they go? Like the Maldives? Something like that? Yeah, they, they go to, yeah, the, the, the Philippines, I think. This is a bad look, but Charles doesn't care. He's Charles. Yep. Um, all true. right, so Charles in Hong Kong meets with Tony Blair. This is actually not the first time that he's met with a prime minister because earlier this season, he met with John Major. He left vacation with Diana to go to a meeting with John Major, and we never heard anything about that. Are we to assume that Queen Elizabeth never learned about that meeting? Or she's just in a mood now, and she's like, okay, this is not acceptable <laughs> this a time. second strike? I don't know. I mean, what is it with him getting into this age and that he starts meeting with all these prime ministers? Like, you could have done this before, but I guess he wasn't adult. In- was his in his, like, 50s? Yeah. What was wrong with his 40s? I think the idea in his mind is that, like, he wanted to cozy up with these prime ministers before he potentially took over the crown and, uh, you know, was then thrust into that relationship in a more like formal and, 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 and stately manner. But yeah, it's, it's very uh, overzealous of him to believe that this would be the prime minister that he would have to conduct affairs with. I think that's so funny. Isn't Liz like in her sixties at this point? <laughs> well, I think there's probably at least in Charles's mind, the, possibility of elizabeth abdicating to him Mm, yeah making making way for a younger generation he's never actually said this out loud but all signs point to that being what he's thinking yeah he at this point expresses that he is finally kind of seeing this job take its toll on liz which i think contributes to to his actions but then he and elizabeth at one point have a conversation about it and uh, he kind of hints at it. And Liz is like, you can have this job when I'm dead. Good for her. <laughs> and then she holds on to it for another 30 years. But yeah, Charles is so thirsty for change that he's willing to try and form an alliance with the Labor Party. The party that wants to, instead of gifting the royal family a new yacht, find private financing for the new yacht with his slogan on the side. Well, I will say his idea the name of the new yacht was dumb like it should have it should just be new britannia instead of new yeah. britain true brought to you by mcvitty's biscuits yep brought to you by walker's <laughs> chips sorry crisps but yeah i don't know it's so weird where like i you keep not liking him and that whole like speech tony blair gives about how great charles is and you're like did charles pay for this season <laughs> It's not that Charles is great. It's just that compared to the rest of the uh, family, he can probably come off as very refreshing. That's so sad. Yeah, it it is. Um, So Charles goes to Hong Kong. He has to give a speech in the rain. And he says uh, that he wishes for uh, a successful transition and a prosperous and peaceful future. What a kiss of death for Charles to be wishing you a peaceful future. Jesus. terrible what a jinx but yeah we don't actually see that much of like that it's kind of like almost an afterthought wait are we done did we just discuss the entire episode already 
I mean, <laughs> we haven't discussed John Major leaving. Oh yeah, which yeah, I yeah, think yeah. is the one thing that we probably still need to touch upon. And oh, and then the the scene with Charles and Elizabeth toward the end. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about John Major first because last week I feel like was the first time we saw John Major really kind of get something to do, and this episode he's leaving. So just like that, he's gone. I felt like they wanted it to be more impactful than it was, but because we didn't really get to know him, I didn't really feel that much when he left. No, truly the only ones who got like real impactful endings, Winston, Margaret Thatcher, and oh my God, I forgot his name. Harold Wilson. Harold Wilson. Wilson. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Uh, the the one thing about this transition from uh, John Major to Tony Blair that I found a little hilarious is that um, you have that uh, you know scene where after uh, John Major says goodbye to Elizabeth and he leaves Buckingham just as Tony Blair is arriving. There's like this very kind of like heartfelt exchange between the two of them, where you know uh, one prime minister going out while a new one comes in and sort of wishing him good luck. And there's uh, at least to me something kind of heartwarming about this idea of like, uh, uh, you know, leaders from different, uh, you know, opposing parties doing kind of like a peaceful transfer of power and sort of just kind of recognizing within each other that like they share this very unique experience and anybody who embodies that role would want to wish that, you know, their successor well. And uh, are you are you too familiar with the sort of famous letter that uh, George H.W. Bush left behind for Bill Clinton? Have you ever um, come across this? Vaguely. Yeah. Um, so I know that it's it's historically been a tradition, but yes, I, yeah. So it, it's been it's been a tradition for like you know the U.S. president to leave a letter in the Oval Office for the incoming president on on inauguration day, and uh, they, they seem to hint at the same thing here, where like you know John Major told him he told Tony Blair that he left a note on the desk, and I'm gonna quickly just read the letter that Bush left to Clinton because I I love this letter. It's really nice. It says, "Dear Bill, when I walked into this office just now, I felt the same sense of wonder and respect that I felt four years ago. I know you will feel that too. I wish you great happiness here. I never felt the loneliness some presidents have described. There will be very tough times, made even more difficult by criticism you may not think is fair. I'm not a very good one to give advice, but just don't let the critics discourage you or push you off course. You will be our president when you read this note. I wish you well. I wish your family well. Your success is now our country's success. I am rooting hard for you. Good luck, George. Really nice letter. What does John Major write for Tony Blair? It's a great job. <laughs> Enjoy it. <laughs> I couldn't read that letter, so I didn't actually know what it said. But I didn't bother to go back. That's great. It is very, it is very brief, and it is not something you tease to someone. You're not going to be like, "I left you a note." It's a good one. <laughs> like, it, I mean, he he basically just like picked like the default greeting on like the you know Amazon like gift receipt. He had all the all the beta testers at Hallmark test out various notes, and this is what they came back with. It's a great job. Enjoy it. But yeah, Tony, so I don't know that we've ever... Have we seen this before? Like, you know, these back-to-back meetings during the transition? No. In fact, I don't think it was ever insinuated that they would ever happen so in close proximity to one another. But right away, Queen Elizabeth is meeting Tony Blair... I guess we don't we don't actually get that much like of Tony Blair's character from the way that he's interacting. We just get a lot of people talking about Tony Blair. I think the perception is that maybe he's a little bit more of a showman, like more pomp and circumstance, less substance, but obviously 
he is the youngest prime minister that they've had uh, in some time. And he's gotten the Labour Party to a place that they haven't been in some time. So it's a it's a new Labour Party, you might even say. Yeah. And just like that, John Major is gone. So any potential issues with his home life, we'll never know. Now, Tony Blair's home life, where he does seem really into his wife, which makes me think based on the way we've seen all other wife guys in the media that he's cheating on her. Will it be a storyline season six? Who knows? I don't actually know if he cheated on her. So I don't know that he did. Carlin, what the hell? Uh, But uh, there is something uh, there's something strange about the fact that they introduced him in a finale rather than a premiere. Like we're now going to go like, you know, one year Assuming we don't rewatch this episode in the lead up to the new season, we're going to most viewers, I think, will struggle to remember what was established about Tony Blair in this finale. Um, Well, we can talk about the pacing of the season. uh, I think after we talk about the visit with Queen Elizabeth and Prince Charles. So Elizabeth learns about both Charles's meeting with Tony Blair and his vacation with Camilla. And she's like, bring Charles to me. And then Charles comes in and uh, Liz basically like chews him out for this. And Charles is like, mommy, we're adults. (laughs) It was very awkward. Yeah. I mean, the thing like at this point, I feel like Elizabeth is like doing optics the way that like publicists do with celebrities where it's like, no one likes your girlfriend. Your popularity is going down. Like not even in a like, I don't approve of her anyway. And you're kind of like, I... It, was she right? But at the same time, I don't think finding a better girlfriend would have helped Charles. So keep with the one you have. Well, and, and they keep like referencing and evoking these like public opinion polls and the results of the, the televised program. But every time they do, I feel like it's a slightly different analysis of like how uh, how the tide like went. Like because the when we see the the program it seems like it's gonna be very anti-royals and then apparently it was good, but then apparently it was good but not good for Charles. They they sort of keep just adding on like additional context and layers to what happened in those polls that seems to kind of contradict the earlier accounts. But I think it was negative in the polls for Charles. Like they had that one where it was like put up a red card if you don't want to see like Camilla Queen and they all had red cards right but like this 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 kind of like fails to reconcile a little bit what because at, at first it seems like they the public is just disapproving of uh the royals as a whole and then they make reference to the fact that the poll went comfortably in their favor which is not what we saw happening as it was unfolding part of me can understand why charles feels such a sense of urgency um in this moment because i feel like the position he's in is probably unique in the history of the monarchy in that the monarchy has never been more powerless to do anything, but had more like voices telling them that people don't like them. Um, mm-hmm. Like I'm sure in the past, if people, if Charles found out people didn't like him, he could just murder a bunch of people, and then the majority of the country would like him again. It's a weird time to be a royal in a time when seemingly no one, no one wants that. I wonder what it's like now. Yeah, not much has changed. As we as we approached King Charles's coronation, but uh, anything else about this episode specifically? Uh, again, it did not really feel like a finale. Like the last like couple of minutes were sort of like this montage, just kind of showing us the current state of all the characters as they are heading toward what will probably be far more interesting uh, and plot advancing events. Yeah, the fact that they introduce Tony Blair, but just in like a very like, you know, brief and 
almost meaningless kind of way. Um, yeah, the it, they just this did not really have like any kind of nice bow on it. The season just kind of stopped. I agree with that. Um, mm-hmm. Oof. All right, let's talk about season five on the whole. And I think my big takeaway from season five is that the pacing always just felt a little bit off. And I feel like, Ivan, to your point, this didn't feel like a finale. I feel like the natural finale probably would have been Diana. Like, we could have closed out Diana's story here, and that would have made more sense. But I felt like maybe the writers, the creators got greedy, and they're like, oh, we need some Diana in season six. But I felt like that would have kept the story moving at a faster pace. Yeah. So the challenge right now is that I think season six, once we've seen it, will probably retroactively affect our opinion of season five a little bit. Because uh, the original vision that Peter Morgan had was to tell all of the story within the course of a single season. And then they chose to split up, split it up into two. Um, and I think even as you know, we were making our way through the season, I think we all assumed that it was going to end with, you know, a a certain historic event that sort kind of serves as a climax for Diana's entire arc. Uh, but we didn't get that. And in, in fact, uh, not only did we not get it, but we got like extremely close to that. Cause we're now like what a month away from that big event in the timeline of the show, which means that it, if it doesn't happen in the first episode of season six, it will probably at least happen in like the second and maybe if they drag it out the third, but it seems like a really, really clunky place to split the seasons. Yeah, no, I was definitely surprised that they didn't like go through with that event in this season. I feel like it did like throw everything off. What yeah. were what were your favorite episodes of season five? Let me go through a list. <laughs> I know. Like, can I get a list it's, up here? Okay, so let let's go through them real quick. So, episode one. Queen Victoria syndrome. That's where we get like all of the initial Brita- Britannia stuff. We meet, uh, you know, uh, John Major. There's some stuff about, uh, you know, the the vacation in the Mediterranean that Charles then like leaves to go meet with Prime Minister Major. Not not a lot happened in that premiere. It was kind of like a very much of a whimper of a premiere. Uh, yeah, I remember being episode- unimpressed with that premiere. Very unimpressed. Probably not be that one. Mm -hmm. And then that sentiment continues into episode two titled The System. This was all about the the carriage racing. Uh, This was the one where... the Diana's uh, one-off friend, James Colthurst, uh, uh, arranges like the meeting where, or sorry, not the meeting, but sort of that that proxy communication with the journalist for the book about Diana that he is uh, writing, uh, which then gets published. And that's kind of that. Episode three is the Moo Moo episode, which I think might actually be my favorite, even though it's an extremely clunky episode and it has that terrible sort of timeline faux pas of them going back and doing the season four time frame with the season five actors. There's Anus Horribilis, which was the uh, Peter Townsend uh, resurgence episode. And, uh, you know, Liz lamenting on how bad things have been for the Royals. There's the way ahead where, you know, uh, Charles has his, uh, you know, big uh, 
uh, tabloid scandal with the call with Camilla. Um, and then he's, you know, doing that interview to try to repair his image, uh, which ends up being successful. And then there's the revenge dress. Uh, Ipati of House, I think that one's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, then we get, uh, you know, essentially the two-parter that's all about like the Martin Bashir stuff and the lead up to the uh, Panorama interview. Um, and we also, you know, meet uh, Prince William a little bit. And there's the BBC stuff. Couple 31, the divorce episode we talked about last week, and then finally this one. So, yeah, it, it does not really leave us with much to look back on excitedly. Um, I guess I, I did like Moo Moo. I liked Annis Horribilis. Yeah, I was going to say Annis Horribilis is probably, of the 10 there, my favorite. And I think No Woman's Land and Gunpowder had the most potential, and they didn't give it to us. But I did like the Williams stuff. Yeah, I think the, the big issue is with a lot of these episodes, like, uh, you know, the one uh, where Diana does her, you know, proxy interview for the uh, book, uh, the the stuff with Panorama, uh, even like the divorce episode, like last week, there's just a lot of just them not sticking the landing on some moments that are supposed to be very emotional and very momentous. It just a lot of things that should have like soared to very high heights just fell flat. Uh, why do we think we fell flat? Um, I know my my opinion of it is that I think this season, more than any of the other season of The Crown, tried to go more for shock value. But in doing so, it's like it's a big swing, but it's also a big miss when you don't do it. Yes. Uh, yeah. They, they tried to go after, you know, some very... Uh, yeah, like kind of like scandalous and shocking events, especially media developments about uh, uh, the family and their reaction and how they, you know, instigated some of those events themselves. We can we can say the writing is bad, but I think there's so much more we'd have to deconstruct about that. And I don't want to just make like a sweeping generalization, but as much as it also pains me to say, I, I do think there was a lot of miscasting here with some very, very core figures. So, mm -hmm. you know, Amelda Staunton as Queen Elizabeth worked for me. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think she had anything spectacular to do in this season, but she gives a very competent and confident performance. And I believe her as Elizabeth. There's no issues there. Charles, I kind of went back and forth on throughout the season because, uh, you know, my initial concern about Dominic West kind of coming across as very handsome and confident, uh, those fears were definitely realized a couple of times in the season. But you also kind of, he also did present himself as a little fumbly and dorky and uncertain at times, which is probably a little bit more uh, true to life. And, you know, he, he was definitely a, a steep drop from Josh O'Connor. Um, and then, you know, moving ahead, obviously, like Philip, I mean, uh, we've talked about his, uh, you know, performance and his characterization in the episodes where he was, uh, you know, more closely highlighted. But yeah, it just didn't work at all for me. And then, uh, you know, with Diana, I do have to say that as much as El Elizabeth Debicki did a stellar, we'll say, impression of Diana, I don't know that her portrayal necessarily did anything interesting and made me feel anything 
about or for Diana that I wasn't kind of being told to feel by other characters. Whereas, you know, the Emma Corrin performance, like she took that and she did something with it. Like she, uh, she really kind of gave me a characterization of Diana that I just wasn't familiar with. And I, you know, saw, saw her from all sorts of different angles that I may not have uh, previously considered. Elizabeth Debicki just kind of did an SNL impression of Diana, I think. Not not one that's, you know, deliberately for comedic effect, but I feel like she just said, oh, I'm going to nail this accent. I'm going to come across as like eerily similar to like the, the way that Diana spoke and presented herself. But I, I think you need to do more than that. I think you need to have some kind of point of view and neither the writing nor uh, Elizabeth Debicki's performance gave me that. I guess I have I have two questions to pose to you. Is it a case of are we too are we still too close to these events? Is there validity to that? People saying like, oh, the the further we move on in the timeline of the crown, the closer we get to present day, the more recent these events are, and the more we don't really want to see them on the screen. I at least for me, I think because of the particular age that I am, and and sort of also where I grew up, which was kind of far from the media frenzy of these uh, uh, events in the 90s, I they were just never that close to home for me to begin with. So even watching stuff in the 90s related to the royal family, uh, it may as well be the 70s for me. Yeah, I don't think these events are too close. I think maybe once we start getting into like William and Harry as adults, then it might start being a little bit like even just then like in college or like as teenagers, that might be getting a little bit close. Right See now, for me, no, for me, fine. even even that is never something that I closely followed. Like William and Harry did not really come into center stage for me until maybe the past decade of my life. Like with starting with like the Kate Middleton marriage. So uh, yeah, 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 I mean that era. Yeah, I mean like honestly, I don't really know anything about them. I'm actually curious to see what their life was like after Diana's death because I feel like at least in all the documentaries and stuff, they only go up until her death. So like the post era is kind of fuzzy for me. So I actually don't mind that. Well, I think in season six, we are getting like teenage William and Kate. We'll see how much because yeah. we've been disappointed in the past. I mean, I guess the other question we have to ask ourselves is, are the Royals at this point in history just not that interesting? Like the fact that we have to divert so much attention to Muhammad Al-Fayed, Diana, who's not even technically part of the royal family now at this point. Is it just like, there's no story here? Uh, I agree. Yeah. And and I and again, I am curious to see how season five is going to look once we've also seen season six and seen what they chose to cover and how in-depth they go. But yeah, I mean, I think you could have probably condensed the events of what we've seen in season five comfortably down to five to six episodes. My, I would sort of agree with that, but I think the thing is that so much of this is probably more internal stuff that they didn't bother showing. They, they could have given the actors a lot more, like, kind of Emmy fodder, like, character beat emotional stuff while going through all this. They never really did. I think that's probably where the most interesting stuff within this time frame happened if they wanted to fill the space. But I still think they should have condensed the events more. Like, the eras that they're dividing doesn't really make sense to me. But yeah, I think there there would have been more to do. They just didn't want to do it. They kind of wanted to go for like the weird broad strokes of like Russia, which okay. Forgot. About it. <laughs> yeah. And, oh and I mean God. that was the, that was one of the few episodes of the season that kind of felt like a classic Crown episode in the sense that it was trying to like you know connect the monarchy to something bigger and historic and deeper than just the uh, the frivolousness that comes with being the monarch, but. 
Uh, yeah, it, it obviously didn't kind of reach the similar heights that episodes from previous seasons would have done it with a similar subject matter. Yeah, it, the problem is when you when the only thing interesting and notable going on with the royal family is like Britannia and Diana, you either have to make it all about that, <laughs> which you can't do, or you have to like occasionally pepper in some stuff and, you know, this is all like C-tier topics, you know, Epity of House, um, even, I mean, honestly, even Peter Townsend, it's like... It was nice that they touched on that again, but it, at the same time, it to me, it, it was also like, hey, remember how good season one w- was with Vanessa Kirby and the young Peter Townsend? We're going to give you some archival footage of that. Like, I don't know. Like, again, I really struggle to pick a favorite. I think I think it might have been Moo just because that one was a little bit more offbeat and a little bit more whimsical and energetic, but it, it was also very clunky in its own right. Well, it also had a complete story. <laughs> like, you could follow it. I want to talk... Well, first, I want to do the Kinky Crown Award, and then I want to play a little bit of a game looking ahead to next season. So uh, let's dive into the Kinky Crown Award for this final episode. There were definitely a couple moments that I noted. Uh, Carlin, I'm curious where you're going with this. What is your nominee for this week's Kinky Crown Award? I think it was specifically when Dodie was talking to Kelly and was like, my father only likes Scandinavian women. She's like, you could be Scandinavian. She's like, no, I'm from Kentucky. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, mine is from the dinner scene. And Kelly notes that uh, Mohammed is keeping his hands very sanitized. And she's like, why is he doing that? And Haney is like, don't you like clean hands on a man? Oh, yeah. Huh. And it wasn't even what she said so much the way she said it, too. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I am going to give it to the, the, the clean hand fetish. <laughs> a fetish? You just don't it's want like... dirty <laughs> She's right. She's not wrong. Let's play a game looking ahead to season six. I have a couple scenarios here. I'd like you to rate them on a scale of one to ten, with one being there's no way this will help. we'll see this, and ten being we're definitely seeing this. First, uh, Queen Mother's Funeral. Yep, yeah, 10. 10? Yeah. Okay. She's a major character. No, she's yeah. not. She's not a major character. She's been but here she... the entire time. Yeah. And I think she's it was a big deal for Elizabeth. The... Yeah, she's been around since the beginning, and it's also just one of the few things left for them to even cover about this era. So, yeah, I'm going to give it a 9. I think there's a chance they might gloss past it or do a time jump and make a reference to it but i think there's high probability that we'll see it no i think there's so much other stuff going on here that they'll just skip it for whatever reason i'm giving it but i mean i feel like it's more likely than not but i don't think it's as as set in stone as you do i'd, I'd give it a six all right um, I, re- I respect it all right uh next an american president uh, as in clinton i guess any of them at this point I mean, based on what the season six, I think they said is supposed to cover up through the early 2000s. So kind of Clinton and early Bush era. Uh, Ooh, this is. I'll give it a two. I don't remember them having a particularly strong relationship at that time, but. Well, there's I think there was a lot uh, of hoopla about the relationship between Tony Blair and Clinton. So. Mm. Okay, I'll give it a four. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, 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 again, like we haven't have we haven't seen any president since what Ford or was he even? No, we, ne- we never saw Johnson. Johnson was our last president, right? That was like season three. 
I don't think we had any Nixon. We had no we didn't Nixon. Even see Reagan. And that's like no, a big no deal. No Ford, no Reagan, no Carter, no HW. So it's been a while since they featured an American president. But I feel like Clinton, for whatever reason, would be an easy one to do. So I'm going to go ahead and give that a six. Given that it's been so long since it's happened, I feel like it's a little bit more unlikely. I would give this a three. All right. Next, uh, an episode about Philip's newest hobby. Oh, please be a one. <laughs> I mean, what what would it be? Like diaper shopping? Let's give it a two. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, I think this might be more likely than that. I'm going to give this one a six. Whoa. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, you are, we're in a Philip era still. All right. Um, I mentioned that JK Rowling hold makes on, more money on, than the queen. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me backtrack to this. You really think that he will discover a new hobby? Cause like, isn't, isn't the whole point of like that carriage racing episode to be that like, look how lame Philip's hobbies have become. I feel like there's there's room for them to become even more, <laughs> even lamer. Okay. All right. Uh, sorry. Go, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, so mention that J.K. Rowling makes more money than the Queen. When did that end up becoming the case, though? That's a good question. I'm not exactly sure when that happened. It might have been like it post. Was, it was. It might have been post season six era. Uh, might not have been until like maybe the mid aughts when the movies were just like printing money that she became like one of the richest women in the world. So I'm going to give this a one. Yeah, one. I would also give this one a one. Um, Pippa. Pippa. Pippa Middleton. Oh. Is, wait. Uh, is I guess that... I'll give it a one because they didn't really, they barely showed Diana's sister and she seemed kind of important. Did Pippa set up Kate and Will? I'm not sure. I don't know anything about Pippa. So I'm going to abstain. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> I'll give it a if one. you're on the periphery, it's it's pretty hit or miss. I would give this one maybe a three. Uh, all right, a plot line about Prince Harry. Uh, I'd give five. Six. Yeah. I'll give it a six. I, I give it a six, too. I think they will probably focus more on William, but it would definitely behoove them to throw Harry into an episode with like a small supporting role. I think they could explore it. I'm going to give this one an eight. Whoa, um, at least okay. for one episode, he might get like a B plot. All right. And then the final one I have is a cutaway from Diana in the car right before the accident. Uh, nine. Wait, uh, you mean like not show the actual accident? Yes. But they show her in the car and then they cut to black. Well, like before she has a collision or just like getting in the car? I guess at any point. Well, it's different. I... I recall them. I, I think I recall seeing some article mentioning that they had. It was already like a done deal that they would not show the actual accident in the course of the series. So it's a question then of when they're cutting. Are they cutting from her in the car or, or from her approaching the car? There's going to be some kind of cut, but I don't know where they're going to. I guess for the purpose of this scenario, I would say it, we're talking about in the car. She's in the, in car, the car driving. Uh, I'd I, say I'd give it an eight. I think they would probably cut away even sooner than that. So I'm going to give it a four. I think this one is a 10. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. I, I think they're going to go as close as they possibly can before yeah. it gets like gross. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, because I think we'll definitely get like she's in the car. There's paparazzi around her again. I don't know. 
I just because well, they teased us with that other car moment. They can't just not follow through on that. They've teased with so many car moments. We even saw in this past episode, like people following her around in, in Mohammed's car. Uh, so the reason I think they won't do this is because it's not something that our imaginations can't fill in. And I think it's been, you know, de- depicted in other adaptations. The other reason is that I would imagine that they're going to cut away well beforehand and the revelation of her death will be delivered in the form of a scene where some character that is close to diana be it charles be it william be it harry is being informed of what happened and i think that will probably be a lot more heavy and emotionally devastating to see than for us to just witness the car crash as the audience that's interesting i I feel like i could I could see that as well, but I'm, I'm sticking to my guns. I'm going 10. Um, all right. That was all the scenarios that I had. Uh, all right. Anything else to, uh, to talk about here before we close it out? I will say, despite the fact that season five was just without a doubt the weakest of the show and my least favorite, I still have like a moderate amount of optimism that they're going to be able to kind of like rein it in in season six and do not like a complete return to form, but but at least kind of build upon what they've done here in season five and use it to kind of deliver a satisfying final season. Yeah, I'm optimistic as well. I mean, you know, I guess everybody has a down season from time to time. (laughs) There's still room to bounce back. Okay, so that brings us to a close here on The Crown season five, episode 10 decommissioned. And in fact, season five overall. Next time, you know, we'll be taking a little bit of a break, but uh, we do hope to be back talking about some of the movies that align with this current timeline that we're in. Um, so, you know, stay tuned for that. Follow us on Twitter. We'll, we'll keep you posted. Uh, I never say this, but also if you, you know, subscribe to the podcast, then you would never miss any of those episodes. Uh, and then hopefully, you know, we'll be back next year, or I guess later this year at some point with season six. I don't know that we have necessarily a release date yet. If, if Netflix continues to follow the traditional sort of rhythm of release, then I think we'll be getting season six in November because every era of the show has aired in back-to-back years. And then between casts, there's been a gap here. But I think they are already filming season six. So hopefully we are on, tr- on track for a November release. Yeah. Um, all right, Ivan, if people want to catch up with you on social media and talk to you about The Crown, where can they do that? Uh, they can do that on, you know, good old twitter.com, a unimpeachable platform. Uh, and my, uh, uh, handle is, uh, at Ivan Vukovic. Carlin, what about you? Uh, Twitter at Carlin Greenwald, Instagram at Carlin underscore G E E. All right. You can find me on Twitter at Sir Sam Chung, but the best place for updates about the podcast, about, uh, you know, what our plans are and, and what we'll be reviewing moving forward is on Twitter at crown around pod and That's all we've got for you. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time. And God save the queen. God God save save the the queen. queen.